Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. I love Wednesday night light for living. I could borrow two phrases from them praise and worship songs that we open with and they could sum up my testimony if it had not been for Jesus and then they followed that up when I think about the Lord how he saved me I'm so grateful so eternally grateful that he thought enough of me that he thought enough of me to pluck me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock I'm thankful Go with me this evening to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, I'll make this announcement for my wife. The ladies will not be a call as needed. If you're able to be here, please be here. I'll be making the list of what you'll be assigned to do. No, seriously, if you're... If you're able to be here, ladies, uh, uh, please, please do so. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 32. Just a familiar story this evening, um, but I want you to stay with me. And if you would, leave your Bibles remained open because we're just going to take a little journey through this, this story. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Now this is a scene that if you pause for a minute and really think about what we just read, it's really something that's remarkable what Elisha has done. Here lies this dead child and he has stretched himself out over the child, placing his mouth, Scripture says, upon the child's mouth and his eyes upon his eyes. And verse 35 says, Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for the privilege to be in this place with this precious group of people on this night, God, that you have designated for us to come before you. I'm asking that you open our heart, open our mind, help us to receive the word of God. Lord, I don't want to be just a receiver, but help me to be a doer of the word, God. I'm asking you to help me to, to minister tonight, God. I certainly need your divine touch, and as a congregation, we need the anointing upon us. In the name of Jesus, 
and the congregation said amen. Before you're seated, turn to someone and tell them how glad you are to see them. Praise the Lord. Uh, For such a remarkable story, uh, if my math is correct, it's amazing to find that there's only 29 verses that describe this story. And it appears very early in the story uh, what sets the tone for this lady's impact on her family. And we know if we back up to verse 8, and the scripture says, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem where was a great woman and she constrained him to eat bread and so it was that as oft as he passed by he turned in thither to eat bread. The writer here inserts a word uh, when describing this woman. He says that she was a great woman and as I read this I said what could it be that would make this woman so great? As I've stated we only have just a few verses to uh, to read her story and to understand about her, uh, what what is it? And I, I've come to the conclusion, and just a personal opinion, opinion, that I believe she discovered the ability not to allow her surroundings to dictate to her where the real source of greatness come from. No matter what happened, she knew that God was her source of strength, and she knew that God would never leave her nor forsake her. Even in a life that was no doubt very busy, it was a custom in these days for the women uh, to handle a tremendous workload uh, in this particular area. And we know from Scripture that uh, they were farmers by trade because we will later discuss how the child goes into the field. But this woman had a lot of duties and she never allowed the little duties of her life to relegate her to being little. Let me say that again. She never allowed the little duties of her life to relegate her to being little. It doesn't matter how significant. It doesn't matter how small you may think or anyone else may think or say that what you're doing in the kingdom of God doesn't really matter. It matters. It really, really matters what you're doing in the kingdom of God. The devil tries to defeat us and tells us, does it really matter that I'm doing this? Nobody even notices. Well, let me remind you tonight, it it doesn't matter if no one pays you one pat on the back, if no one gives you uh, a boy. God knows, and that's all that matters. And it really, really matters what takes place in the kingdom. Uh, uh, Illustration comes to mind, and forgive me, Sister Richards, I certainly don't mean to embarrass you, but... uh, me and her got together several, several months ago, and she began, I give her a list, and she began sending cards to some of the inmates that we pray for and that we have developed relationships with at the prison. And it just does something to my soul on Sundays before church starts when a grown man comes to me with tears in his eyes, and he's weeping, and he's saying, thank you, man. Thank you for the card that I received. You don't know how much that meant to me. And with reply, I can only say that I I didn't send the card. And they'll always ask me, please tell her. Tell Sister Richards thank you. Give her a hug for me. Several weeks ago, a young man come to me. Not not a young man. He's quite of age. He's been in the system uh, consistently now for 33 years. 
And before we begin service, he come to me holding that prayer card uh, that Sister Richard sends out and tears streaming down his face. He said, Jerry, it's been nine years since I received any mail. Nine years. It, it really, it really matters what you're doing in the kingdom. It really, really matters that you're doing something in the kingdom. This woman was gifted with a kind heart, yet while her focus was centered on her home, she reached out to the world that needed her beyond the four walls of her home. See, you can focus on your family and still focus on souls. For several years now, the, the anthem or the motto for our men's conference has been God, family, and souls. We've got to put God first. We've got to make sure that our family is priority. But the God in the kingdom of heaven, if there is such a thing, lives, eats, and breathes souls. And that's what he expects of us. Souls. This, we're, we're in the soul-saving business. And we've got to make sure that it's, that it's a priority for us. Everything we do counts in the kingdom of God. And if you read the story of 2 Kings, you'll find that this great woman had an incredible sense of self-control. How quiet she was in all of the tests of life that came to her. But it stands as an excellent display of inner character. But there would come a day. There would come a day in her life, and if you know the story, which every fiber of her soul would be tested. We find that the prophet Elisha was traveling through the land of Shunem, and he uh, made acquaintance with this woman, and we know that she would prepare him a meal. And, and as the scripture would say, evidently they become close, and so he would pass from time to time, and she would have a meal prepared for him. And it was to his surprise one day that as he returned by, that he even found a small room built onto the house, a place where he could rest his head. So you see, she, she concentrated on her family. She loved her family. And she had responsibilities that she had to tend to, but she still had a kingdom mind. And she, she was intent on doing something that would make a difference in the kingdom. And to others, it may have seemed insignificant, just a meal, just a bed. But to Elisha, to Elisha, it meant such a great deal to him, a place that he could, that he could eat and a place that he could rest. And, and so the man of God determined one day to return blessing for blessing. He would ask the question, what can I do for this family? And we know that it was Gehazi that had an answer and the couple was childish. And so Elisha pronounced a child that would be soon to born to them and so it was that sometime later that a baby entered the home. And as the years rapidly flew by, I can see Elisha as he travels in and the, the baby is perhaps crawling around on the floor in diapers and uh, can't speak yet. And Elisha moves on. And then he comes back by later on of, uh, in a, at a different time. And now the child is up walking around and, and can even run and play and can speak. And, and so Elisha begins to, to build a bond or a friendship, if you will, with this child. So this is not just something that has impacted the life of this family, but Elisha has prophesied over this child and has, has prophesied this child into this family. And now this has become part of a, Elisha's life. It's, it's also part of his promise. This wasn't just a promise to this family. And there are times when, when everything goes so well, Everything is right. We know in story, I believe it's verse 18, that this young man went out one day to work with the reapers and 
Things had been going good. Everything is cruising along. All is good. And then all of a sudden, and that's so much the way it is with our life. Family's good. Finances is good. Health is good. Our spiritual walk is good. Everything seems to be ticking right on schedule. And then all of a sudden, bam. Life just has a way of reaching up and taking us by the throat. And that's the way it was at the house of Shunem. When Elisha came uh, the first time in verse 8, oh, what a joyous time for her to be able to feed the prophet. Verse 17, he comes and brings news of this child. It was, it was a day to remember. But I have to believe that of all the days of these 29 verses, that the most memorable day to this Shunammite woman would have to be that the day she lost her son. The day that she watched him walk away into the fields only to return sick. A day that she would, she would see him come back full of, full of hurt and full of pain and, and be surrounded by things that she couldn't even imagine. This young man had left home that morning running full of life but was brought in from the fields cold and lifeless and all that he could reply was my head, my head. Bible tells us that her only child died. 2 Kings 4 and 21 states that even after the child died that her response was almost unbelievable. In the moment of grief, she lays this child on the bed of Elisha. Scripture says she shuts the door and leaves this child. Even in the midst of this trouble, even in the midst of this chaos, this great woman in her lot in life also great in ability to handle trouble. I ask you and I this evening, you find a man or a woman who has walked in the desert, and I'll show you a man or woman with blisters on their feet. You find a man or a woman that has carried a, a load of burden or grief, and I, I can show you a man or woman that will walk a little stooped over. You take one of these elders by the hand at the conclusion of this service this evening and you ask them about their walk with God and I'm, I assure you they can tell you some stories of some storms that they've encountered in their life. There, You see in life there is no garden of comfort in this world. Every garden of comfort soon finds trouble and trouble will hitch to a plow of disaster and turn our lives upside down. And if you and I think that we can hide ourselves away from hurt and difficulty. We are only living a dream. Trouble forces its way into our lives regardless of who we are. It was Job that said, and, you know, man's born to this life and the life is short and full of trouble. And here this Shunammite woman is with this child and this promise that she received from God, this prophecy that Elisha has spoken, now lays dead yesterday. This promise was alive. Last week, this promise was alive. She looked at the promise at breakfast and it was healthy. And she watched it as it walked to the field. A healthy promise full of life and now it's dead. The very light of her life was gone. Now what she had gained from the Lord was, was somehow taken away. And in the very budding of this young man's life, all was suddenly lost. The, the severest problems may come and with their entry into our lives, the sudden visitation of trial can change every plan and every course of action. You plan what you may, and you have a solution to everything, 
But all that can change when trouble strikes. All that can, all that can be destroyed. And now we find that what had been prophetically promised was dead. And I ask today, what do you do when your promise is dead? How do you deal with a dead promise? What do you do when the promise that you have prayed for, that you have fasted for, that you have waited for for so long, God finally gives it to you only to be taken away? How are we going to deal with this promise? This great woman in her distress knew of only one thing to do. That was to pray and sin for the prophet because she knew that nothing was too hard for the Lord. So for the first time, this this prophet's room, which was a place of rest, now has become a chamber of death. And her sorrow was great and her grief unbearable. I read this story several weeks ago and found it interesting. Many years ago, an artist invited one of his close friends to come to his studio to see a painting that he had just completed. The individual came at the appointed time, but instead of being ushered into where the painting was, he was placed in a dark room. He waited for 15 minutes, and when his friend returned, he he greeted him, and the friend took him into the gallery to allow him to see the picture. Before he left, he had to ask, "I, I, I just have to know, why did you set me in that dark room for so long? And he said, I left you there because I knew that with the glare of the streets or with the glare of the world in your eyes, you, you couldn't appreciate the fine colors that was in this picture. So I left you in this dark room until your eyes could adjust and the glare had been worn out of your eyes. And that's the way it is with God. See, sometimes He puts us in a dark room of life, of life so that we may be able to see the world He sees, so that we can understand Get an understanding of how he views the world. See, God loves the world. Contrary to everything that's wrong with it, contrary to the sin, to the sickness, to the disgusting things that's taking place even in our own cities today, God loves people. And until we get an understanding of just how much he loves people, we'll never know what it's like to pay the price that he paid. This lady, she, she loved this child, so she strikes out on a mission to Mount Carmel to find this prophet. This prophet, uh, this, this promise has now been dead, and, and when Elisha come in contact with this severe grief from this woman, he was, he was moved. and See, he had knowledge of this child. He, he, he knew of this child, and he was... Friends with this child, and what do you do when something that you have invested so much time in dies? Something that you give everything you have to is now dead. The now dead child was something that Elisha also had received from God. See, this wasn't just a promise to this family, but this was something great for Elisha. This was this was proven that his faith was more than enough. But what do we do with a, with a dead dream and a dead vision and dead hope? How do we deal with a dead promise, a promise that God gave us, but it's now gone? I wonder this evening, have you ever had something that God brought into your life, whether that be a gift or, or a ministry, and then you had that snatched away from you? 
pulled out of your fingertips and you ask the question, God, why? I thought this was your will. I thought you gave me this. And there is no other explanation for it, but it hurts. It hurts. Verse 29 in chapter 4 says, Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thy hand and go thy way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. So see, Elisha decided that the thing to do was to send Gehazi. That's why when we have something in our life, it's, it's so important that we pray before we react. We, we need an answer from God before we make a, a drastic mistake. When the staff was laid upon this young boy, Elisha expected healing, but it was not to be. There's something about substitutes in our life that will never work. Scripture gives us an example of, of Nadab and Abihu. They offered up some strange fire in place of what God had requested, and it cost them their life. Satan began a trial in the Garden of Eden by attempting to modify God's plan and God's commandment. Cain followed that up, and he substituted fruit of his own labor for the designated lamb as a sin offering. Saul was anointed king over Israel, but forfeited that honor when he offered a forbidden sacrifice. Each of these proved to be a curse and a failure and ultimately cost them their life. See, it... It really matters what you offer to God. It really matters that you have a real relationship. It matters that you come into his house offering him praise and adoration. I I spoke a couple of weeks ago and I talked about coming in and just finding ourselves a place to sit and say, and I made it, I'm showed up, now you do something with me, God. See, that's not the way God operates. God needs us to give to him. God needs us to exalt him. And then he can begin to do some things for us. Elisha's command to Gehazi to lay the staff on the child caused the miracle to be delayed or to miscarry for a little while. Because part of the problem was the man who held the staff. Gehazi was not the prophet. And let me pause right there and say very carefully, we need to be very careful who we let prophesy and pray over us. We don't need, as, as, as children of God, we don't need just anybody speaking words into our life. Be, be very considerate. Be very considerate of, of what's being said to you. I think it's pastor that uses the phrase all the time, uh, take the fish and leave the bones. There's some, some, some th- sometimes there's some things that spoke into our life that, that we have no business remembering and no business retaining. And we need, to, we need to have them rooted out. In the hands of Gehazi, Elisha's staff become nothing more than a common stick. Nothing happened. Verse 34 says, And he went up and lay upon the child. We read this in our opening text. And put his mouth upon his mouth, eye upon his eye, hand upon hand, and stretched himself. The prophet stretched himself out after, again after, after the boy. Scripture says that the child waxed warm. He covered what was dead and he reached out until nothing was left. If we're going to reach our world, if we're going to make a difference in our world, we've got to cover them with prayer. We've got to cover them with fasting. 
We've got to cover them with our abilities. We've got to cover them with everything that we have. It may be unorthodox. It may seem a little bit peculiar. And it may seem dirty, but spiritually, we've got to stretch out over this world. We've got to put our mouth on their mouth, our eyes on their eyes. And we've got to pray a prayer of faith in them. See, the world, contrary to what we may think or what, what the devil tries to plant in our mind, that anybody and everybody is not interested in this apostolic way. You see, that's false. There's something different about us. And people are drawn to something that's different and something that's real and something that's unique. And that's why everything that's presented into the world is most of the time forced on people. We can't force this. This has to be demonstrated with love. If Hatchbent Apostolic Church is really a living church for a dying world, then we're going to have to be Elisha-like. And we're going to have to have to put our bodies over, over some things and we're going to have to dedicate ourselves to some things. We, we got to go into some places that we don't want to go and we, we have to do some things that we're not comfortable with. It's, it's not easy, Sister Boyd, to go into a broken home or a broken family and try to minister. It's uncomfortable to sit there as perhaps the children are, are out of control because the father's not been a part of their lives and the mother has difficulty controlling them. It's somewhat difficult to sit there because they don't keep their house the same way you keep your house. But sometimes we're going to have to put ourselves into some positions that we're not comfortable with. There was a lot of places that Jesus went that I assure you he wasn't comfortable with. He didn't relish, and I'm sure he didn't like walking in sin. But if we're going to save the lost, we've got to, we're going to have to get down in the mud. Excuse this phrase, but we're going to have to get down in the mud and waller a little bit. We've got to make an effort. There's something powerful that happens when we cover things with prayer and fasting. There are numerous examples in the Bible. Job 40 says the covering became a place of refreshing. Psalm 91 said the covering became a a place of protection. Psalm 109 said the covering became a place of confusion for the enemies of God. 1 Peter 4 and 8 said the covering of love cleanses a multitude of sins. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, a, a covering of hair. Ladies, a covering of hair brings the power of angels. That's what Jesus does today. He offers a covering of grace, of mercy. He offers a covering of forgiveness and and love and healing and deliverance and power. And most importantly, he offers a covering of his blood. The covering began to bring warmth back into this dead promise, and yet that still was not enough. Still, after this covering, there was nothing. And sometimes we have to live through God's nothings. Sometimes we got to live through the quiet times and the silent times to receive what he wants us to receive. The woman with the issue of blood had 11 years and 364 days of nothing before she touched the hem of his garment. The servant of the prophet went six trips of nothing before the last trip when he found a cloud the size of a man's hand. Naaman had six dips in the water of nothing before the seventh dip cleansed him. There are times when it seems like that the miracle is stalling out and it's never going to come to pass. 
But I'm telling you that the glory of God can cover our situation. And so much can happen when we will go again and again and again. And when we be persistent enough about what we desire for God to do in our lives. It don't matter if you give five Bible studies and nothing happened. Give another one. It don't matter if you've talked about this message and give your testimony a dozen times and they've never come to church. Tell it one more time. We got to go again and again and again before the dead promise will be restored to life. There has to be a stubborn persistence that says like the old song, I would not be denied till Jesus came and made me whole. Verse 35, we read, Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Brother Rayleigh makes reference quite often about the significance of the number seven in the Bible. And here one more time, God chooses uh, for something as simple as a sneeze uh, to bring life back. The prophet prayed and stretched himself and there are moments that we that we want to abandon and we want to we want to give up. But if you don't hear nothing I say tonight, I, I, I've stepped to this desk to say, and I'll repeat myself, go again one more time. J- just just give it one more chance because there's something taking place in heaven. There's something taking place in the spiritual world that you and I can't see. Things are happening that we that we don't know anything about. I think it's in uh, Scripture when we come to the reference of Jacob wrestling. Um, When he's in this, we we call it a wrestling match. But when he's in this wrestling match, Brother Rayleigh, with with God, the angel says as day begins to break, and I think I'm correct here, Brother Rayleigh, when day's about to break, the angel says, let me go. Now there's not much wrestling going on right there. And I interpret that to be that that Jacob was just hanging on. He was just hanging on. My senior year in football, we was playing a school FAMU. We went over there that year. Y'all remember that, Uncle Danny? I think there was a hundred of them and 13 of us. (laughs) Big. These was men among boys. And my cousin Ray, he was... He was running back, and I was playing guard. And when I tell you this boy was big, and he would just hit me and run over me, and we got back in the huddle, and Ray said, Jerry, you you got to do something. And the coach comes to the huddle, and I said, I'm trying, coach. He's big. I can't do nothing with him. He said, just grab hold to him and hang on. I said, that'll be a penalty. He said, I don't care. Just grab hold to him and hang on. And all I could remember seeing from this big old boy because his waist was about right here and they had to specially make his belt that held his football britches up. And he had an orange belt and it hung down and so every time he hit me and knocked me on my back as he went over the top of me, I would just grab hold <laughs> to that orange belt. And sometimes we just gotta, we gotta hang on. Mama, if I hadn't told you lately, thank you for hanging on. Every morning, every morning in prayer, just hanging on. All those nights you stayed up waiting for me to come home, not knowing if I was dead or alive. 
couldn't do nothing but find a place at an altar and just hang on. Go back one more time, one more time, and just hang on. See, God understands where we're at. God sees what we're going through, and when we don't have the ability to wrestle, when we don't have the ability to fight, just hang on. Just hang on and, and wait on God. There's a certain warmth that's beginning to ease back into this promise. And with that warmth, there's going to be life again. It was an unusual response. It was something that had not been experienced before. We've never read about this in Scripture until now. A sneeze. Something as simple as a sneeze. Perhaps Elisha was expecting the heavens to open or something grand to happen, but it was just a sneeze, and it didn't look like a miracle. It didn't sound like a miracle, but it was a miracle anyway. See, men do not define miracles. God does. It wasn't a wall falling. It wasn't a river parting. It wasn't manna falling from heaven. It wasn't water coming from a rock. It wasn't the sun standing still. It wasn't a gate being carried away. But it was a miracle. It was a miracle nonetheless from a simple sneeze. In fact, seven sneezes. Nothing is more simple than that. It was not much, but the sound was enough for Elisha that has signified that life is being restored. And so I tell you tonight, if you want to know how to deal with a dead promise, you just hang on. Hang on and wait for the sneeze. You, you hang on and you wait. You wait till you feel Something taking place. The dead promise was once again living and breathing. And it was once again going to have purpose. As our musicians come, if you fast forward 11 years, you will find an incident in the book of 2 Kings chapter 9. Elisha needs someone to anoint a king. And I have read many commentaries and studied some historical teachings that conclude that this young man, this Shunammite woman's son that was dead, now with a miracle brought back to life, was the one chosen by Elisha to anoint the new king. The same young man that had died and been restored to life now had purpose. God had a purpose. What you may think is dead in your life, what you once possessed but now you feel like it's gone, God has a purpose, and he has a plan. A dead promise brings an anointing to the king. That king was King Jehu. And if you know your Bible, he would be the very king that would destroy Israel's most difficult problem at that time, Jezebel. This scenario opens up a huge window of insight into the sovereignty of God and his purpose for, for us and for this kingdom. It doesn't matter that 20 years may have passed since the prophecy of Jezebel's demise. When God gets ready, he, he, he can move. And a dead promise, what we thought was not around anymore, can be restored and brought back into our lives. You see, the devil tries everything he can to convince us that we can do nothing in the kingdom. We don't matter to God uh, what we used to do, we can't do no more. I found it interesting several days ago as I was reading about Moses and 
how he was destined to be a promise, Brother Rayleigh. Born, hid for three months. We all know the story, placed in the ark, went down the stream, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And this promise from God is kept alive because God had a plan for him. But something altered that plan. Moses made a mistake the day he went into the field and killed an Egyptian. And if you know your Bible, Pharaoh sought to slay him and Moses had to flee. And he fleed to Midian. And it was there at Midian. If you study the book of Acts, you'll find that he stayed 40 years. 40 years the promise that God, that was to lead God's children out of Israel lay dormant. It was dead. Moses, who was who we know to be the great leader of the Exodus, here he is tending some sheep. Here he is thinking it's said and done. And in a matter of fact, when he turned and looked to the burning bush and God began to speak to him, he wanted it to be done because he come up with all kind of excuses. But God said, Moses, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. The devil has tried to beat us up and tell us that our ministry's dead. He's tried to tell us that what we can do for the kingdom is dead. But I want to tell you this evening, and I'll say it one more time. If you feel like you're in an idle state, if you feel like nothing is going on in your life tonight and you feel like you're doing nothing for the kingdom, can I tell you just to hang on? Just hang on and wait on God. Can we stand across this house? As you make your way to this altar, I wonder tonight if there would be anybody, anyone that's has something in your life that you feel like has been stripped away. Something that was taken from you by surprise. Something in the middle of the night when you went to bed, you had it, and when you woke up the next morning, it was gone. I'm telling you today, if it was from God, if it was a promise from God, contrary to what it looks right now, it's not dead. It's not dead. Father, you see us where we're at. You understand what we go through. And we stand before heaven tonight needing a divine touch from you. The purpose in our life that we feel like may be lost or may be gone or may be dead. Restore that purpose. Refresh that purpose. God, bring into our life fruition what you have designed, what you have planned and ordained for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, 
please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.